do you define if someone has a need to process their birth or perhaps birth trauma? How do we know whether it's something that we need to do? And it can be done years later, even decades later, can't it? How does someone know that that's something that might be beneficial to them? So a lot of the time when I'm speaking to people, I'm like, is it bothering you? Is there something bothering you? And sometimes it can be a niggle and it's just like a little kind of irritation. But other times it can be more deep rooted. It can be sensitivity to noise. It can be kind of a feeling around that baby. It can be hypervigilance or hyperarousal. There's lots of different things. I'm like, is it bothering you, that experience? And because I cover anything from preconception well into the postpartum period, it's like, was anything in your experience bothersome? And that's the first thing I encourage them to explore. Like, are you feeling okay about it? So much of it is based on how people feel rather than what actually happened. Because, and I say this to people and I'm like, I don't want you to take it wrong. I don't actually care about what happened. Like this isn't me needing your clinical notes because I need to see what happened on a clinical level. I want to know what your feelings are around what has happened to you. And so when we start exploring that, it's like, I think I need to talk about this. I think I need to explore it further. And that's usually how we kind of start those conversations. Yeah, because Gabor Mate is one of my favourites in the world of trauma. And he says, it's not what happens to you, it's how you experienced and how supported you were and what happens to you. So what I'm hearing you say is that even if you had, quote unquote, you know, a non-eventful birth, you can still be carrying trauma from that, couldn't you? If you felt unsupported or unsafe. If someone's listening, is there anything that they can do themselves to start to unpack this? Because someone might be listening and it might be really triggering actually. They might be thinking, I just don't want to go there. I just don't want to open that box. The closed box is often scarier than what's inside that box. As the box is closed, you're like, this is huge. This is massive. This is massive. As you distance yourself from it through time, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. It's not going away. It's just there. It's this box. It's like, oh my gosh, it's a scary box. I can't open. And I often will say to people, find a supportive space, a safe supportive space. And it can be by yourself, but often it's with someone else. And just take a peek, just take a peek. You know, because a lot of the time what we think is that we open the box and everything comes flying out. But it's like, actually, this is often coming from this sense of how out of control you felt. And so you think that everything is going to jump out of this box and it's all going to spill out and you're not going to know what to do. Whereas actually you are in control of this and you can allow yourself to go, right, we're going to, let's look at this little bit. Let's just see. I always say, you know, if it feels huge, I encourage you to be supported in it, to have somewhere to put that. But if it just feels like it's a bit of an overwhelming box or like, you know, just a bit, I'm not sure about it, have a pen and paper. Just write down a few of those things that are coming out. But even before all of that, write down your feelings. Write down what you're feeling. Write down what's coming up for you. Get it out of your head and onto paper. There's such power in taking things from your head. Because then you can sometimes see they're not as big as they felt. Or you can say, I can order this. I can kind of create a bit of structure around it. But also I can see where my trigger points are. I can see where I'm bothered. I can see where I'm affected. So my first thing is get it out of your head in a controlled manner that feels safe to you. It could be just one thing. And you say, I'm just going to look into, I don't know, 
one conversation that I'd had with an obstetric team and how that made me feel. And gradually you take control and you say, and now I want to look at this bit and I want to look at this bit while also normalizing the fact that you might cry. You might cry. You might feel a little bit stressed. And, you know, people say to me all the time, I'm just going to cry. And I'm like, good, good cry. It's fine. We need to cry. Crying is really healthy. And in supported spaces, when we cry and we're held, you often don't cry as much as you think you're going to cry, but you just need to get that big kind of frog in your throat out. When you debriefed your own birth, how do you look at it differently now? Because what I want to give is a sense of the benefit of doing this, because I can almost hear the resistance (laughs) to the listeners. Like, Zoe Illy, this is great, but I am busy from 6am to 9pm. Like I know that if I think about my birth, I feel uncomfortable. I I just don't want to look at it. So can you paint that picture of now when you look back at it, having unpacked it, worked on it, processed it, the benefits to you of having done that? Definitely. So basically when I looked back, so what you're often left with after these experiences, particularly ones that aren't necessarily deeply traumatic for you, where people can empathize and show you compassion but where you're isolated in it you're left with feelings of shame and feelings of guilt and a lot of I did this and so part of what I first started to do was like well did I did I what was I actually in control of and I started to look at the things that I was in control of and how I responded to those and then the things that I wasn't in control of and I was like oh okay now we're talking now this is starting to make more sense because I'd done a huge pile on like you know you did this and you did that and if you'd have said and if you could have and obviously the midwife in me knows better the rational midwife in me knows that actually in those settings because of our issues as a society with authority figures we'll often be like oh yeah okay okay fine okay fine you know I'll just give in or you know and then if you add the extra layer of being qualified or whatever and being supposedly having lived it on the other side, you know how you should behave to get the outcome that you want. And so it was very much like I could see that I'd been kind of pushed into a bit of a corner. And once I started to go, well, that wasn't your fault. Well, you couldn't have done anything about that. And then looking at the things that I did do, like saying, no, we're not doing a category one section. I was like, yes, sister, like you did the damn thing. Like that's what you wanted for yourself. And looking at how I could gather that control was the first thing that I did. So it's a lot of reframing on how things you feel they are inwardly and then going, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just look at what this actually was. And then as I kind of went past that bit, it was allocating blame and accountability. So it was like, for the people that made me feel embarrassed, for the people that didn't look after me appropriately, for the people that had no faith in me and made it very obvious for the lack of support. It was like, okay, once I started to allocate that out, it was like, yeah, you need to be held accountable for all of these things as well. That's not on me. That's not for me to carry. So it's like next step. Great. Did you experience an anger and what did you do with that anger? So I experienced an anger and I was literally just like, look what you did to me. Look what you did. And I allowed myself that anger. I was like, it's fine. Anger's fine. Anger's good. So yeah. So really kind of showing myself a lot of grace, having those conversations that we aren't encouraged to have in antenatal education about normal postnatal feelings. There's as a tool. And I'll tell you how I've used it as a tool in a minute. So there was definitely anger. There was remorse. It's like a bit of a grief cycle that you go through because for me, that experience, I experienced a grief of a loss of hope, 
the expectation of that experience that I thought I was going to have, all of those things were taken away through no control of my own. So then that kind of last stage, so yeah, allocating that blame appropriately and then normalizing things. So normalizing my own response to my child. So normalizing the noise sensitivity that her cry to this day, she's four years old, her cry still makes me feel quite uncomfortable. Normalizing the fact that I didn't feel this immense sense of love and humanizing myself, being like, well, duh, you've just been through a massive thing and you've been handed this stranger and everyone's like, well, now that's it. No one's validating how you're feeling. So it's like, okay, 